The question is this, what is it that has some of us find our way to the top of our game, to overcome adversity and challenges, resistance and self-sabotage, to rise from the ashes time and time again? What is it that has everyday people just like you and I act boldly in the name of their passions and live out their wildest dreams in this lifetime? That is the question, and this podcast has the answers. My name is Carrie McCauley, and this is Choose Unstoppable. Hello, and welcome to Choose Unstoppable. My name is Carrie McCauley, and today we are here with Christiane Mikkelberger. I cannot wait to share her with you all. A little intro. She is a guide for serious spiritual seekers who yearn to awaken. And after being dedicated to finding her own awakening, she has come across a very simple process that led to her, that led her, excuse me, to fully go beyond the self and end suffering. Now, I am very interested to hear this story, and I know many of you listening are as well. So, Christiane, first of all, I'm so grateful that you're here. I'm so grateful you're willing to share your story with us. So, first, hello and welcome. Thank you so much, Carrie. I'm more than happy to be here. So you mentioned in your bio that you're a retired physician and a psychoanalyst. (laughs) So you have been, I'm going to say dabbling because I don't know enough of your story, but you've been in the world of, you know, spiritual connection, it sounds like for a long time. Can you take us back just to how you became so much more interested? Like, were you always seeking enlightenment or awakening? Is that, uh, is that since a child? Yeah, I was a kind of inward child. And I always thought about when I think back as far as I can, where does that get me? And I always would get to this oceanic feeling. Mm. Very interesting. Yeah. And um, later as a physician, as a young resident, uh, I was 25, I saw the first dead person, and this was a motorbiker who was just as old as I was at mm. that time. And I thought, gosh, I'm really going to die. This was the first time I realized that. And, and I thought, oh, I don't even know who I am. No, I wasn't really spiritual up to then. Well, I had opted against my father's really strong rage to become a member of the church, Christian mm. church. Oh, he hated that. <laughs> And uh, and I made a lot of music there. I was playing the organ and singing, and that really fed my soul. But I didn't have a path or anything. It was just more general. So then, yeah, so then fast forward a little for me to how did this kind of more intense interest come to be? So the intense interest uh, was already there since I had this experience of the dead motorbiker. That when I started to meditate and I had an incredible journey, very exotic with Japanese and masters and Indian gurus and you name it, I've done it. But then in 2015, I had gone for a regular um, breast cancer screening that's offered here in Germany. And I was called back for another examination. Now I thought, yeah, well, they have to justify what they do. So they call some people back for ultrasound because it's highly discussed whether it's of any worth what they do because it's so expensive. And so I just went back there. and didn't think much of it. And then I entered uh, the 
the office, the doctor's office, and saw the X-ray on the screen hanging on the on the lights, the lights, the light mm. board, and I saw immediately it was cancer. It was not hard to see, and I thought, oh gosh! And at that moment, it was like hell broke loose, panic arose that just didn't stop for weeks. And I was a psychoanalyst. Mm. I med had already meditated for like 40 years. I should have been able to calm myself. I wasn't, not mm. at all. And at that point, I realized I have gone nowhere, really. It's all nice and fun, but when it gets serious, nothing has happened. And what was the fear in that moment for you? What what was the what was the source of that anxiety? It was mixed. It was part of um, of dying mm. because at that point you can't know how far the cancer has spread already. That was the first diagnostic procedure I had there, the biopsy and. Um, that's only for determining whether it's cancer. And then you have surgery, and then you still can't tell because you have to wait for the results again. And so, but when the results were there, I still was in panic. It really was like, oh, I might die, and my thoughts were racing, and now in Buddhism is this big teaching, there is no self. Mm. It was very clear I hadn't got it, though mm. I thought I had. And so... I just thought, this has to stop. This has to stop. I can't bear this any longer. And I didn't know what to do, but I turned my back. Really, like, it was a physical feeling, turning the back on something, on this exotic identity of being a spiritual seeker. And I said, I have to find now. And that was the turning point. And I think this is a crucial turning point. And I think that might also be true in the business world, because as long as you seek for some possibility, I don't know, to grow your audience, to get in front of people, you can seek for a long time and spend a lot of money while doing it. But it's it's different uh, when I decide, no, this has to have an outcome now, a positive outcome I screen people much better, coaches and people who offer services. And I, and in this case, my attention changed to finding, I would say. That's probably the main ingredient. The filter we have for, we don't see and experience everything that's there. It has always matched the filter we're using. And as long as I use the filter I'm seeking, I want to become better. Yeah. <laughs> you will become better and, and seek. When you said, I realized I hadn't got it, what's the it that you had at that point not gotten? I had not grasped that there was really no me, because if I had, why would I be afraid? Mm. And so for those of us who aren't inside this conversation regularly, the idea of self or no self, you know, I think many of us, you know, many of the people in my world, we can often go through life being very um, attached to self as the only way that our thoughts are, you know, our driving force, they are ourselves. So if you hadn't really gotten it after studying with all of these, you know, incredible gurus and 40 years of meditation, and then what 
path of new finding or elevated finding, what was the, what did you start to do to really get you connected to this idea of, or, or not this idea, this, you know, this fact or phenomenon that there is no self? Mm-hmm. Um, so detector synchronicity came to my rescue. <laughs> I always say that because um, uh, that um, a friend of mine had liked a blog post where that had the title, The Body's Not Ready for Awakening. And I thought that sounds kind of interesting. So I read it. And in there was a link to a platform where they help people see that there is no me who thinks, decides, acts, controls, to whom the feelings belong. And I read the dialogues. They're public. Everybody can read them. And I thought, gosh, something is really happening here. And there was... There were lots and lots of questions. There was no teaching. There were just questions. And all the questions were about, have a look. Where is this me that thinks? If it's there, you've got to find it. I mean, uh, otherwise you're fantasizing or hallucinating. (laughs) And so, right. And so uh, I used a book. Uh, where I just some printed dialogues, uh, which was very helpful because uh, on the platform are voluntary guides, but you have to answer every day. And so I just used the book and it was fantastic. I've never in my life felt so inspired by questions. So I looked for what was it actually that thinks. I just watched the thoughts coming up and looked for whether there was a thinker thinking them. Or we think we can control our thoughts, you know, have nicer thoughts. So I just followed the thoughts and found out and just explored, can I determine what the next thought will be? And if I don't like it, not let it arise? Well, no. (laughs) (laughs) Or just think of a number. That's not very good news. (laughs) That's not very good news. (laughs) I I wanted that answer like, yes, you can, and here's yeah, how. Yeah, that, that would be good. Uh, you know, just try it with a number. Just think a number of between 1 and 49. Do you know it before it arises? Mm, no. <laughs> and, and so you can explore all areas. Who is it that is walking? What is it that coordinates the movement? Um, how are decisions made? Like when I get up in the morning, uh, what makes the decision to finally get up Yeah, and not stay in bed? Or what decides uh, which clothes to put on, what to have for breakfast, which way to take to work, or maybe which vehicle or bike or walk. And all these zillion decisions we make in a day, how are they made? And this is so fascinating to watch that it is not possible to find out how decisions are made. Um, You can look for the decision point, the exact moment when the decision is made. It's not findable because decisions are made before they become conscious. They uh, did that in brain research, uh, gave people things to decide and found out that decisions are made up to six seconds before we know them. 
you're going to have to forgive my ignorance and oh, I'm no very problem. interested no problem. in your perspective. Yeah. Is it some kind of, this is what I'm imagining as you're talking, some kind of supercomputer that is taking all of the data points and then forming a decision and then sending it up right. and then... I make that decision, but really it's just some kind of supercomputer. And is, is that me? Right, right. <laughs> is, is the supercomputer the self? Or when you yeah. say there's no self? Well, who, if it's the self, you could, should have some influence on, on this. But you do. Mm, I see. So then what is driving the data points of the supercomputer? Just experiences, just life inputs. Right. What we learn during life or the encounters we had, everything we learned somewhere, saw somewhere, even subliminally. So this is so such a beautifully rich conversation. As I think about myself as an entrepreneur, and as I know many of the audience as entrepreneurs, some, many of us are faced with just negative thoughts in general or self-doubt or self-judgment. And the farther we go out of our comfort zone in life, the louder the volume gets on these, you know, conversations that are, you know, doing their best to pull us back as opposed to propel us forward. Mm -hmm. And so these are coming from the supercomputer. I don't know why I'm pointing to my belly. I feel like my supercomputer is yeah. in my belly. Oh, actually, yeah. there are more brain cells in your belly than in your brain. Did you know no. that? Yes. No. That's why the gut wow. feeling is so precise. Is that where that term comes from? Yes. Wow. What a fascinating piece of information. Okay. Well, I'm obviously very in tune with my brain belly yes. or my belly brain, one or the other. Um, so uh, these negative thoughts uh, have come from, you know, six seconds before it's even reached me. It's from all of these experiences and whatever safety net or security measures how can we detach from them as, you know, as, as real and stop relating to them as though they are our guiding force or because some of them just don't seem helpful or beneficial. So how do we separate from ones that are like, I should put my seatbelt on, I should put my bike helmet on. Those seem like good decisions that I shouldn't question. Whereas other ones like you're just not good enough seem like ones that I should not necessarily pay so much attention to. to. What, what would you say to that? Already in the first step, what I offer has seven steps. It is seen um, that the thoughts are completely uh, just fiction. They're just fiction. They're not the facts. And these thoughts of, uh, this is not good enough. Oh God, every entrepreneur knows that. When I write a blog post, I regularly go through the cycle, you know. That's a great idea. I start typing away <laughs> and then, oh, no, 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 this doesn't work out. Oh, this is awful scrap. I just delete it. <laughs> but because I wrote it already. In my life. This is my daily life. Right. But because it's already written, I keep going. And then I edit and edit and edit. And after a while, I start climbing out of the ditch. Like, yeah, it's getting better. This is actually pretty brilliant. Yeah, published. <laughs> Oh, yes, that is my every day. So this is an old narrative, which we just brought with us from our parents, from mates, from teachers, from university professors, whoever criticized us in a very unhelpful way. Um, yeah, that uh, just 
this narrative for me. I, it, I don't experience it any longer. That's very interesting because it's very strong for me. Um, mm. Okay, I'm a kind of perfectionist. <laughs> mm. And now I don't so much. It's just, I, I think it comes with experience because it's always the same cycle. And after a while, you know, okay, um, like I'm writing this book and I sometimes think, oh, no, I can't. This is not good enough. So I keep editing and editing. And then at some point I said, Listen, you have to stop it. It's never going yeah. to be perfect. It just can't. Yeah. It would be a and shame you know, if you wouldn't have new ideas. It's so interesting, this idea of, you know, editing and re-editing and re-editing. It's as though our own version of perfect is actually unattainable it's not like we have this finite thing to say that now that meets perfect mm -hmm. it's like a painter who could just keep changing a painting forever at some point just has to let it go right. and with I'm sure writing and editing a book it's this ideal of it's never good enough and I, I think some of us go through life like with that, not just editing and right. painting, but just nothing is ever going to be, it's never going to mm. reach your ideal set of satisfaction. So there comes a time where you just, I mean, there's the the cliche of done is better than perfect. Uh, you know, and of course we want things to be great, but it will never, if for me as a, as a you know, a, a fellow perfectionist, <laughs> I don't think I've, I've ever done anything like I will go back I, I you know even this interview I'll be like oh I should have I could have I, I if only I if that could have but it would be eternal I could listen to it again the next day and the next day and the next day and it would still be I don't think I'll ever reach that so how do you find peace inside of that or is it just mm. that you've recognized it's not real yes um, in the process of looking into whether there is a self really there, whether it's just fiction, it becomes so obvious that it's just fiction. And then this, it is not good enough, doesn't stick to anything any longer. It's so mm -hmm. clearly seen as an old narrative. And maybe it even has a voice of a sibling. I have a sibling who could criticize very well, yeah. or the mother or whoever. And... So it's just seen as for what it is, a narrative that doesn't relate to what's happening now. It's just an old tape playing. So I'm going to ask you the million dollar question. Mm -hmm. If it is fiction, all of that is fiction, what is real? Very good. Very good question. I love it. Well, I do not know. I can only say that everything is experienced as facts to experience it. But we have no way of telling whether something actually exists or not. And I will explain that. That's accessible. When we see something, the eye actually doesn't see. The eye receives light waves. And the light waves turn into electrical currents in the retina, and that is then transported to the brain. And in the brain, the images are created now, I'm pretty sure that the world looks rather different for a bee or for your dog or your cat because of the different sense channels. And so what we experience is always the artwork of our brain. And we can never say 
whether this is a mirror of what is outside or whether it's pretty much completely thought out. I often have to think of children who have, yeah, this is this, and they learn that this is this. And they don't know it from by themselves. And I had a very interesting experience once. I went shopping in a just huge grocery shop like Walmart, and I was nearly finished. I only had to get the beverages, and so I pushed my shopping cart to the beverage section. It was in a separate room. And I, I didn't look up, I just pushed forward. And, and then I looked up and there were no beverages at all. There was only a very psychedelic, colorful display of colors and no forms or shapes, nothing. And I just said, oh, this looks good. <laughs> and I didn't know what to do. Well, I, I enjoyed it. It was quite a nice sight. And then... I thought, well, I, I don't want to come home. We were camping out. We lived in a camper for half of the year. And it was quite far to the shop. So I thought, no, I'm not going to come twice. i got to get some beverages. So what do I do? And so I wanted to have some juices. And the juice section, I know fairly well in the supermarket because we went there more often. And I thought, what can I do to get this into form again? And I thought, well, maybe I try to remember. Now, do you remember how a shelf in a grocery shop looks like and what's on it? No, I don't. <laughs> Only the, the few sections where I grab things from regularly. And so I just thought, okay. I kind of there with the orange juice and there the apple juice. And, and then after a while, a third of the section formed again. And it was exactly the juices. And just next to it, everything still was blurred. And I said, hey, your construction department lunch breaker, um, hey, help me. <laughs> So in the end, I could, uh, like a third of the whole beverage section was rebuilt and I could pick what I needed to. But it was very weird when I went out. Nothing was different than before. Everything was still perfectly fine. And were you embarked? Like, did you still feel like you were there holding on to your shopping cart? Yes. It was a human and witnessing something very unhuman. Yes, like. and riddling what was going on that I... Uh, I, I, I mean, I was very familiar with that. All this stuff is constructed in the brain, but it had never broken down for me so far. But maybe we are a world on wire. We are a computer simulation and the computer system broke down. Yeah, I mean, it's very, uh, it's well, it's very Matrix. You yeah, know, very like, much I don't know so. if you've seen that movie, but yeah. how everything is, you know, constructed as we need to see it. Right. That's a remarkable um, story to share. Thank mm. you for sharing that with us. And were you scared in that moment? No, or not were, at all. Was... It felt good. The colors were very beautiful and it felt good, just very stunning. And uh, I didn't know what to do. That must have reinforced your belief exponentially at that point, did it? It's almost like if someone is you know, visited by an angel or someone from, you know, the other side, they can confidently say, oh, I knew, kind of, but now I really know. And right, was that right. Like, yeah. It's, it was a very good demonstration. Yeah, I'm sure you're very grateful yeah, for that. Yeah. So whoever's running the show, right. I would like one of those. 
Thank you. <laughs> I'll take Good one. idea. Well, exactly. <laughs> if you're taking orders, I'll uh, I'll try one. So then how did it come to be, because I'm going to have to let you go eventually, and I feel like I could talk to you for seven days. I'm not even exaggerating mildly. How did it come to be that you, this became your work, your life's purpose, the, the way you serve others? So you, you've you gone on this journey um, of kind of like the deep inner work, and you've removed yourself from the self. And how do you now serve others? I know you've written a book that I want to talk about too, but what is it that you do? Um I call myself an awakening guide. I don't have a better name for it. So I help people see for themselves that there is no self. When the first layer for me fell away, that we experience the self as the agent of everything, it was so liberating. And I thought of my fellow Buddhist friends. They were often up in their 80s and had like meditated for... Mm, more decades than I had at that point, and were dis- desperate that they couldn't get ahead and didn't find, mm-hmm. couldn't see this for themselves. And so I thought, I have to help them. This is so simple. You know, when I saw that, I saw it after four days of reading this book and asking myself the questions. And after the first, yeah, got it. It was like, oh. I'm so stupid. How can somebody not see this for 40 days? It is so simple. For 40 I mean, years. Once you know, yeah, 40 years. I did follow you there. Everything's easy once we know it. Yeah. Or it's the answer is simple once we know it. Yes. So you too hard on yourself. Yeah. <laughs> so then you just felt the calling to teach. Right. Because the right. answer. Yes. Which I love. There's nothing I love more than when people have these moments, these epiphanies or these transformations that they are still have some kind of pull to turn around and stretch out their arm Mm -hmm. and bring others with them. Because truly I'm imagining you could be very content. I don't know why I put you on top of a mountain in, you know, some beautiful wooden cabin, Uh, but the drive to serve humanity still is there within you to help others free even though, you know, you yourself have detached. Right. Uh, so I, I honor you for that. And I acknowledge you for that. Before I let you go, there's two things I want to do. I want to quickly touch on the book. And I want to ask you one question. Oftentimes, in my little knowledge of the stories that I hear about these spiritual awakenings, they are triggered often by some kind of traumatic event. Mm-hmm. I mean, we are faced with our own death Mm -hmm. things that we wouldn't typically wish on anybody but probably in your experience and some others you wouldn't give back either right right it was greatest blessing which is great but for so let's just say as someone who's spiritually curious and very you know open to the idea of awakening but doesn't necessarily want to you know manifest or even experience close these near death you know, if I haven't had those, is the portal unavailable to me? Um, do you know what? Do you, I hope that my question is clear. It, it, without what, what do you, what advice do you give to someone without these kind of traumatic near death um, or very transformational experiences? How does the regular person who's seemingly just going through life access awakening? Just the very same way as I did, and. 
I would wish for everybody that it wouldn't be so um, out of desperation. Mm. Because and so it is possible? Absolutely. It just needs an open mind and and the willingness to just look for what is fact and what is fiction. And mm. that is the only thing that's needed. And most people uh, I work with haven't had these dramatic experiences. Mm. It's very rare. And so your book, I, I've, you know, I don't, I don't know much, so I definitely want to hear your um, description of it. But is it walking through these questions? Is it an access to these questions? Right. Or yeah, yes. So I had another concert three years later, and the beauty was, um, I had no emotional reaction to it at all. That was so fascinating because I expected it, and. When I was discharged from the hospital, I felt like I hadn't suffered a scratch. It was fascinating. Wow. Yeah. But um, they found a lump in my lungs in the staging process, and I thought, okay, if this is a metastasis from my first cancer, um, is there something I want to do before I die? And I thought, yeah, leave a legacy so other people can figure it out too. Yes. I love that. And that's how your book. Right. And that's uh, why I wrote this book. And this book will be my full dialogue I had with my own guide. So there are all the questions. And then we caught up with each other because he had developed this either fully. And we mm -hmm. had to develop the next steps together. And uh, it was very, very fascinating, very scary, very... Um, uh, joyous journey, really mixed together, really a hero's journey with all the highs and lows that such a thing brings. And um, I can only wish that everybody would see that already after the first two steps, there is such a deep contentment and no reactivity any longer when things don't go our way. Um, that is such a blessing. I thought gosh, I've never been really content in my whole life. And, and this and is, now? pardon me? And now? And now, Do, is it? now uh, it's um, when all steps are done, there is very deep peace. And what's profound is there is no discontent or suffering, which are all forms of suffering, slight discontent, really outrageous suffering. It just it doesn't come up any longer. Um, yes, when I stub my toe, it still hurts, but I don't suffer, but it just hurts. And actually, it hurts only very shortly. It's very interesting. And the rest is continued by our fiction machine, our dream maker. And uh, so the pain experience changes dramatically. And yeah, and... If anybody thinks it feels like you're a great person and a big guru, no, it doesn't. Um, if you want that, you need to do something else. Um, it feels completely ordinary. Uh, how, how, like, uh, refreshing is the word that comes to mind just to have a peaceful, ordinary experience? Right. As crazy as right. that sounds, it feels like you know something just like a deep sigh of just yeah. a peaceful ordinary experience in an extraordinary world still you're still doing extraordinary things mm. 
but to have the peaceful, ordinary experience inside of it mm-hmm. um, feels, you know, very, it feels worth longing for and uh, aspiring towards. So it, the book is out now. No, it I'm isn't. Assuming. I'm still editing. Oh. I'll stop editing. <laughs> All right. So we, you are hearing it for the first time, my friends. The editing must stop. I mean, everything. Obviously, everything is there. Yeah. Obviously, everything is there. I... I'm like hanging on the edge of my seat. I know people at home are hanging on the edge of their seat. Um, so when, when? Uh, I would think, um, I just made an outline, I think in May, May, June. It depends oh, May, June. It, it, okay. it depends on the proofreader. Okay, wonderful. Yeah, how quick they um, are. Well, you'll have to reach out to me. Um, as Happily. As it's there, because that's just a handful of months away. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I'm, I'm so excited for you inspired by your drive for legacy Mm -hmm. and the the fact that it's a legacy to unopen and unlock new possibilities Mm -hmm. for the rest of us. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm eternally grateful, but I genuinely mean it when I say I want to get my hands on these questions and, and walk my own journey through your journey to start. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's a beautiful way to write a book about this for sure for serious spiritual seekers, but for those of us who are, you know, spiritually curious, if I can coin that term Mm -hmm. to witness someone else's journey, I think is a great gateway to be able to start to open those questions for ourselves. Mm -hmm. So I thank you dearly. You're most welcome. I look forward to staying in touch, truly, and Mm -hmm. I look forward to your book. Thank you. Christian, where can people find you? On www.findingawakening.com. Love it. Okay, great. So I'll make sure that's in the show notes and definitely go back and check out that site come May or June. Uh, Who knows, maybe we'll have you back and have another incredible conversation once your book's ready to launch. On that note, I'm going to end the show. For those of you listening at home, thank you so much. I am eternally grateful. And until next week, choose Unstoppable. I hope this episode filled you up with inspiration and you're feeling ready to turn that into big action for some explosive growth in your business. And if that's you, then I have a free training on how to build a wildly engaged audience, get hundreds of leads in a matter of days, and even create a wildly successful launch. You can watch it right now at kerrymccauley.com backslash watch now. See the show notes for the link. And as always, thank you for tuning in. Your support means more than you could ever know. We'll see you on the next episode.